You're listening to All The Best. I'm Danny Stewart. I grew up near a huge cemetery and every day I walked through it on my way to school. It was the quickest route to get there and I enjoyed looking at all the pretty flowers. One afternoon, as I was making my way home through the mass of marble angels and lavender bushes, something unusual caught my eye. A few meters down the path, three women were hovering around a very old, overgrown, spooky looking grave. It looked like they had dirt on their hands and one of them was holding a huge shovel. This stopped me in my tracks. My little 11 year old brain went into overdrive trying to make sense of this scene because it looked like these ladies were digging up a grave. Then one of them started waving at me. The sun was shining directly in my eyes, so I couldn't quite see their faces. I took a step closer, and that's when I realized the lady waving at me was my grandma. And the other two women, well, they were my aunties. Turns out they've been doing a little family history on Ancestry.com and had discovered this ratty looking grave was the resting place of my great, 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 great grandmother. They told me her name was Isabella and they'd come to plant some flowers for her. This week on All The Best, we're embracing the spooky season. And in our first story, a wandering man seeks out shelter in an empty barn but he finds out it's not quite as empty as he thought. A lone figure trudged through the soaked gully. The droplets bounced off his rough leather overcoat, the limits of its sick hide being tested. Protecting his shoulder-length hair was a leather akubra. It wasn't too necessary. After weeks in the bush, his hair had the same greasy waterproofing as a duck's feathers. The storm was getting worse. The wind howled around him, tugging at his hat. The man, Luke, jammed it back on and picked up his pace, mud sucking at his gumboots like quicksand. Rounding a bluff, he saw a shape on the distant plain several kilometres away, too solitary and square to be a hill. Thank God, a building. He needed to get inside before he was washed away. Luke approached the barn cautiously. There was no shortage of overly territorial farmers with shotguns in the region. It was quite dilapidated. The red paint had mostly peeled off. An upstairs window was broken, likely from the large pine tree branch jutting next to it. Okay then, coast was clear. The massive front door had a thick plank of timber nailed over it, the nails as thick as garden stakes. Bugger it. He went to the small side door, also barricaded from the outside but smaller planks. He slid out his crowbar from his rucksack, and after a few laboured tugs the door splintered open, softened from a decade of rot. Luke slid inside and exhaled, finally free of the rain. Pulling out his torch, he cast its feeble beam around the barn. A large pile of hay lay in one corner, 
a stack of planks in another. A tractor lay rusting to the side. Petrol, kindling and wood. Time to warm up. Luke stood in a pair of boxes over the fire blazing in an old gallon drum. He had strung up his drenched clothes on a rope to dry, letting his skin bask in the warmth. The winter had picked up to a gale force outside, streaming through the broken window on the attic floor. Luke sighed, pulled on his boots, picked up several planks and dug around some rusty nails in an overturned toolbox. He climbed the ladder, nails in his mouth, planks and crowbar bundled in the other hand. Reaching the window, he noticed there was no broken glass on the floor. Guess he hadn't needed his boots. Most of the glass was missing, the bottom pane deliberately cleared of it. Luke's goosebumps, initially from the cold, increased. He thought those barricades were to keep someone out, not in. Now hesitant, he began nailing planks over the window with the crowbar. Something in him made him only hammer the nails half in, loose enough to be able to yank the planks off, just in case. Luke clambered back down, fatigue setting in. The pile of hay lay beckoning, the closest to a bed he had seen in weeks. Embracing his exhaustion, he collapsed into it. A loud clang rang out as his shoulder impacted metal line under the pile, pain shooting through his left shoulder blade. Swearing loudly at himself, laying his guard down, he tore at the hay with his right hand, manic in his burning pain. Finally, the hay lay in a thick carpet throughout the barn. Revealed was a large metal trapdoor. Luke smirked. Some old coot farmer must have hit his savings and croaked before he could cash out. At least the trapdoor was ajar and not open. He would have broken his neck. He swung it open and turned on its torch. Its light now sputtering. Better make this quick. Descending down the ladder, he swung the weak beam around. No obvious gold bars or safes, just empty cages, large enough to hold a cow. Luke's boots hit the ground, crunching on bones scattered on the floor. Some were small, like chickens, others much larger. His beam lit up a metal sign nailed to the wall. In its fading stencil, he could make out Bunyip Chimera. What the hell was this? A notebook lay rotting in the corner. Flipping through it revealed sketches of animals, crocodiles, kangaroos, and dingoes. Finally, the last page revealed a grotesque synthesis of all of them. So, that explains the window. To hell with this place, he'd take his chances in the storm. Adrenaline now dulling his throbbing shoulder, Luke hurried up the ladder into the fire, yanking his still damp clothes off the line. That's when he heard them, small vicious yips coming from the open door. Luke crouched behind the drum and peered around as a massive creature entered. Its head was a dingo's, but a naturally longer jaw, crowded with fangs. It loped forward on large kangaroo hind legs, scaled spines protruding along the ridge of its thick, feathery tail. Reptilian claws stuck out awkwardly from its chest. It stopped yipping and started sniffing the air. Luke held its breath. Slowly, it turned to the fire, curious creeped forward, now growling. It was only meters from the fire. would sniff him out in a second. To hell with it. Luke pushed the drum over, flaming petrol spilling and catching on the thick hay carpet spread throughout the barn. The creature howled in surprised pain and fear, hopping away instinctually to its escape route, the ladder. Fire had reached the walls of the barn, the rotted timber catching like paper. Luke ran to the door, 
his gumboots melting in the flames. The creature had almost made it to the top floor. He burst through the burning door frame, the torrential rain hitting and soothing his burns. Falling onto the ground, smoke rising from his singed body, he heard a howl. Turning, he saw the barn collapsing onto itself. The creature was half out the window, stuck as it fell backwards. The roof crumbled onto the fallen wall with a crunch of bone, silencing the howl with a thud. Luke lay panting and smoking in the rain, a wry smile spreading over his face. Thank God for this storm after all. story was written and read by Scott Haller and was produced by Mel Chun. You're listening to All The Best. I'm Danny Stewart. At All The Best, you can learn how to make audio documentaries, essays and fiction. If you have a story to tell, get in touch. Visit allthebestradio.com and send us your pitch. We'll pair you with one of our supervising producers to help make your story. Growing up, Connie loved watching Sabrina the Teenage Witch. In our next story, she discovers that witchcraft is actually nothing like what we see in movies and on TV. Next. Did you bring them your ball? That's cute. Seen it. Five witchy activities to do at home tips for baby witches. Yes, there I was at 2 a.m. scrolling myself to sleep with the sweet, sweet sounds of TikTok. So what started innocently enough as watching a few cooking videos escalated into a vortex of dog videos, ASMR, some humorous skits. And then the TikTok algorithm did something quite interesting. It showed me something and now that I was engaging with it, well, it was sending me down quite the rabbit hole. Oh yes, pulling rabbits out of hats and holes, a common association to childhood magic shows. But this time around, I am exploring the magic spelt with a K. I am exploring the magic associated to the supernatural, mysterious and occult forces of the modern day witch. And this story and exploration starts when I stumbled upon the trending TikTok hashtag witch talk. Witchy tip, I wish I was known as a beginner witch. Let's talk about wearing protection. You can wear a protection spell jar, an amulet, or a talisman, but did you know? No, no, I didn't know. In fact, there were so many things I had never even heard of before I stumbled across this witch talk community. So the hashtag has over 8 billion views and short videos containing things such as tarot card readings, how to cast a spell, how to charge one's energy and crystals, how to heal using properties that are found in different natural plants and remedies, and how you can bathe magically under a full moon. It shows these young women and men partaking in these rituals. But cauldrons? Optional. There were no pointy hats, no forehead scars, no warty noses, and definitely no cackling. And look, this is not the first time 
that pop culture has made witches look cool, relevant, and aspirational. Okay, I grew up in the 90s on a staple of Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Watching The Witch with my mom after school with a cookie. And do not even get me started on Charmed. Okay, I used to fantasize that I was their fourth adopted Asian sister. But what stood out to me about witch talk was that there was such a large community of people who truly believed that they had magical powers and practiced witchcraft in the present day. So I wanted to find out about witches, particularly in Australia. Who are they? What do they believe? What does witchcraft and magic mean to them? So in my endeavor to find some modern day witches, I went on the most positive type of witch hunt and I found three people who identify as a witch and one who identifies as a druid. So the first witch I interviewed was Danae Moonthorpe. She is a witch, a psychic reader and the founder of Spellbox. Spellbox is Australia's first witchcraft business and is situated in Melbourne. first spell I ever did was to get rid of freckles. <laughs> did it work? No. The second witch I interviewed was David Garland, a traditional gardenarian witch, meaning he has lineage to the original, the OG founder of the Wiccan religion, Gerald Gardiner. He is the president of the Pagan Awareness Network Australia. It was illegal to practice witchcraft in Victoria till 2005. Um, no pagan, no pagan group celebrated eight sabbaths before garden. All Wiccans are witches. Not all witches are Wiccan. And all witches are pagan, but not all pagans are witches. The third witch I interviewed was Karen Rolls an eclectic green witch with the gift of psychometry and runs full moon pagan ceremonies at Seven Hills. And that's something that I do monthly. So I take um, all of my crystals that I have, I wash them um, and then put them out for the moon and to, to cleanse them into the, into the moon. Hence why I know it's a full moon, apart from the fact that tonight we will be doing an online ceremony. And the last person I interviewed was Julie Brett. Julie is a practicing druid who specializes in druidry in the Australian landscape. Although she doesn't classify herself as a witch, she is part of the pagan community, believes in witchcraft and magic through a source called Arwen. You know, Arwen is the difference between words and poetry or actions and art. It's, it's the thing that, that adds that magical aspect to it that makes it um, capable of changing hearts and minds. Based on my research and conversations with these four believers of witchcraft, I found some threads of commonality. The first was that witches often find their callings and pull to the magical at a young age. So how did you first hear about the concept of witches and witchcraft and how did you start exploring it? Well, I would have had fairy tales when I was little. And I just always loved like ghosts and spirits and anything mysterious, always. Um, so I think I was doing little spells way back before school, like wanting to see more. Um, I always say that I initiated myself um, in the countryside. We grew up for a while in the country and I'd go out and um, yeah, pick mushrooms and go into my imagination and listen to the trees and, and just go into that really beautiful world that was always seemed to have a, um, 
a voice of its own too. So, but then um, I suppose the first book I ever bought myself, I was 13, which is a significant age, I paid for it with my own money, was a book on spells. And funnily enough, way back then, it was sold in a news agency. It was this little tiny book. And the first spell I ever did was to get rid of freckles. So I knew something was different. I mean, when I was three, I fell on a wine glass on Christmas Day and nearly died. Um, when I was 17, I was riding a push bike and got run, literally oh. run over by a four-wheel drive with a trailer. Mm. And after that, everything went to 11. So I started being able to sense things, see things, know things. Mm. Um, and it was that that led me to, to start looking and finding people who could answer questions. I think that it, it doesn't really matter who your parents are and what, what sort of world you're being brought up in. I think if you have a connection to the magic of nature, it's going to be there right from the beginning, um, you know, or an interest in stories and, and magic and, and just the, the wonder of nature can be really uh, compelling, I think, for some of us that you can't help but become a part of that that world so um but I've been practicing paganism since I was 12 um I didn't really understand that that's what it is I it was very natural for me for to just this this works much better for me I started questioning all sorts of things and um I had my first um psychic um moment at 12 um which was very frightening I must say it's when my grandmother finally told me about the gifts within our family and I thought okay <laughs> it all makes sense. It does make sense why experiencing intense events or being naturally curious at a young age would lead you to explore the ethereal world which led to another important topic we covered which was what does it actually mean to cast a spell and is it actually different from that pop cultural reference of hocus pocus? I put a Spell is like a magical ceremony, uh, a beautiful time, like a, a meditation um, where you create a circle, um, the symbol of a circle, and within that circle you deem it to be a sacred space and go into yourself. It actually lifts your energy. And once you start thinking in a higher way, it's amazing how you see the world in a different way and so it responds. It's all about energy. If you think something, it creates ripples. It sends that thought out. If you speak something, the vibrations are bigger. It sends out a bigger vibration. If you carry out an action while thinking and talking, the vibrations are even bigger. So go and throw, fill the bath up with water and throw something in the middle and watch the ripples go out. And what happens? They come back. Mm. That's nature. That's just life. So you send these ripples out with your intent on them and you wait for them to come back to you. It's no different to a prayer. It's no different to lighting a candle in a church. It's all about state of mind. It's mm -hmm. all about you. And then when you get people who have a like mindset and you focus on that thing together, how big is that ripple? So as we can hear, spells are less about a set of words recited of a boiling concoction of herbs. Like 
but rather spells and magic are about intention and manifestation. Most witches believe that the universe is filled with energy and they are simply harnessing it. You'd be hard-pressed to find a druid who didn't like a fantastical, magical story about wonder and, you know, impossible feats happening. Um, But that said, there's still a really practical aspect to what we think of as magic. Um, Herbalism and natural medicines and things like that can be considered a kind of magic, like where you can find a plant and you know, work with that plant in a certain way then that, that's going to heal you and bring you back to, to health and wholeness. You know, what, what could be more magical than that? You know, words being magic, you know, you can make a, a positive affirmation or you can say, I, I want this thing to happen. I want to have health. I want to bring this thing to me. And, and using symbol can be really powerful. So place yourself in, a, in the magical grove space, you, you know, your magical circle where it feels like you're, you're preparing yourself for change. Um, and then symbolic action, um, like, I don't know, meditating with a crystal or um, drinking some herbal tea that, that relates to a, a certain energy can, can really have a powerful effect on your own psychology. It's like you're working with affirmations and, and changing your inner world. Um, for me, magic is about um, the energy and the intent right? It's not about being told that you must use this tool, this herb, this thing at this time. It's the energy and the intent. I do believe that the cycles of um, the, uh, you know, the solstices and the, and the moons and that sort of thing, I do believe that you've got better energies and that sort of thing um, throughout your cycles of, of um, the year that do, things do work better, right? And that is something else that I learned is very important to modern day witches, that being the annual cycle of seasonal festivals known as the Wheel of the Year. It consists of the chief solar events, such as solstices and equinoxes, and the midpoints between them, such as Samhain coming up, also known as Halloween. Living in the Southern Hemisphere has has made things a little bit interesting when you try and tell people things like, oh, but it's not actually Halloween, and they're like, or Samhain or whatever, however you want to call it, right? And they're like, um, oh, Halloween's an American thing. It's like, no, no, it's not. (laughs) And trying to make people understand that, uh, yes, the Halloween that most people know is um, American or whatever, but the celebration of the dead is not American. It's actually um, much more of a um, Mexican and um, old, old world and um, Halloween is not one day either. It's uh, the celebration of the dead is three, and it's a celebration of the different generations of your family, and it's a celebration of family. That's what it is. So, um, and people get creeped out because um, in the true traditions, you go and you have lunch with your ancestors in the cemetery. So, and they're like, oh, I don't want to go and eat in a cemetery. It's like. <laughs> Just come with me. We're going to go and visit your family. So, and I love it. I love it. But I celebrate the American version of Halloween. I do that. I love it. And um, I celebrate Christmas when it's Christmas and I celebrate, um, I call it Holy Frost or, you know, um, 
I, well, we call it the Holy Frost because that's what we celebrate um, as the Pagan Awareness Network. We do a Holy Frost celebration every year. But I do twice. I just do it twice. I just turn everything around and do it twice. The guts of it is they followed the cycle, they watched where the moon was, they knew where the solar, solar stuff was, and they had myths that went with them. So there was laws of the gods and goddesses, depending on your culture or your religion or where you lived. It's that type of stuff which was the law that was the basis that built this stuff. And as I said, the previous religions never had all eight. Some had two, some had four, some had five. The Italians had some, the, the, the Celts had some. Gardner brought those together and made eight. So... You can't question that. It, out of all the religions in the world, all the religions in the world, we have something that's factual. Mm, I see. So, so oh, yeah. actually those celebrations, it's not just kind of like a holiday, it's actually the centre of what the religion is. It is. The Sabbaths are the spokes of the wheel. The wheel is what we practice. That is what Wicca is. Please remember that you don't have to believe or follow the Wiccan religion to call yourself a modern-day witch. David is an ordained high priest of the Gardenarian Wiccan coven. However, many witches you meet will be non-religious and not follow a structured path. I'm one of the biggest voices in the group that say, I am not Wiccan. <laughs> because I am so eclectic and I am... Um, a sole practitioner, I, I don't belong to a, a coven and I have no wish or desire to do so either. I literally take from everything to whatever works and that is my belief. So really, does this mean that any of us could call ourselves a witch as long as we believe in harnessing Earth's energies and following nature cycles? I believe there's a witch in a lot of creative people <laughs> just dying to get out. <laughs> Through these interviews and meeting these witches, it now makes sense to me why so many people are drawn to modern-day witchcraft and witch talk, as it stands for an inclusive community that espouses ideals that appeal to the evolving masses. Those ideals include maintaining and respecting nature, female empowerment, and the rejection of established ideas and organisations in search of grassroots values. As the world becomes more and more uncertain and unpredictable, people are embracing the unknown and looking to see the unseen. It's the invisible world that I think that um, witches are very interested in, what's behind the eyes, what's behind um, the ordinary. Witch talk and TikTok may be trending at the moment, but the rise of witches and what they stand for appear to be sticking around. Maybe they see it more as... Um, dabbling in something that's maybe fun and but it's very real it it's about um it brings a lot of meaning into my life too um it's about balance so this halloween if you decide to go down the witch talk tunnel contemplate the three r's one respect respect all the different witches that you see and their opinions Two, pay reverence to the original cultures that inspired their craft. And three, research. Always, always, please do your own research before trying anything. Research about the practice and don't partake in anything not meant for you or you feel unsafe about. And also please research about the products being used in the craft. 
And finally, in the words of David and Karen, remember the Wiccan creed and the threefold method. Um, in the threefold method, that's what you do comes back to you three times, whether it's negative or whether it's positive. And that's the same thing. So um, if I give out, I get back. My advice is um, be careful what you do because if you open a door that you don't close or you can't close, yes, you can invite negative. And the Wiccan say do as thou will as long as it have another. So on that note, I am wishing you only positive vibes through the radio waves you are listening to this through. That story was produced by Connie Koo. Oli Krusek was the supervising producer. All the best would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands on which we make these stories and pay our respects to elders past and present. All the best is made at FBI Radio on Gadigal land in association with SIN and 3RRR on Wurundjeri, Woiwurrung and Boonwurrung lands and 8CCC on Arunda and Warramungu lands. The All The Best editorial manager is Mel Chun. Emma Pham is our social media producer and our community and events coordinator is Lydia Josephova. Wing Kwong is the All The Best mentee producer and this episode was mixed by Ollie Krusek. Shining Bird composed our theme music and Annie Hamilton designed the artwork. We're heard across Australia on the Community Radio Network and we're made possible by the Community Broadcasting Foundation. You can find out more at cbf.org.au. You can find more episodes by searching for All the Best wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Danny Stewart. Thanks for listening.